everyone, and welcome to the Able Voices Podcast. I'm Dr. Rhoda Bernard, Founding Managing Director of the Berkeley Institute for Arts Education and Special Needs, and I am proud to present this podcast featuring disabled artists and arts educators. We are inviting artists with disabilities to be guest hosts for the Able Voices Podcast. The guest host for today's episode is jazz pianist and composer Matt Savage. Matt is on the autism spectrum. He has had a professional career since childhood as a jazz musician, band leader, and composer. He has played with some of the biggest names in jazz, including Chick Corea, the Ellington All-Stars, Shaka Khan, Wynton Marsalis, and many, many more. He has recorded more than a dozen albums. Matt teaches at colleges in Boston and New Hampshire. He gives private piano lessons, and he gives master classes in English and Spanish. I hope you enjoy this episode, hosted by Matt Savage. Hello, and welcome to Able Voices, Episode 2. My name is uh, Matt Savage. I'm a uh, pianist and composer and uh, college educator, and... um, I was the interviewee on episode one, and now I'm going to be the interviewer for episode two. And this week we are featuring the amazing trumpet trumpeter Wayne Piercy, a frequent collaborator of mine. And um, he's an excellent uh, performer and composer and um, uh, in both the jazz and classical idioms. And uh, he's a fellow alumnus of Berklee College of Music. And uh, he's accomplished all of this despite being blind from birth. So um, very excited to have him uh, in the virtual studio with all of us all together. And um, uh, it's wonderful to see you again, Wayne. How are you doing? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. Um, and it was a it was a pleasure to play with you last night. <laughs> yes, it was. We played uh, last night at the Lily Pad in Cambridge, one of our favorite jazz clubs. Yep. Yep, all good stuff. All good stuff. We played some originals and um had a blast. It was a great it was a great show. Yes, we did. It was uh yeah, it was both Wayne's band with uh me on piano and my band. But um we'll get to some of those projects um in a few minutes. Um but the first thing I wanted to ask you, Wayne, was when did you first become interested in the trumpet? I was in sixth grade. Well, I guess I um, I got tested on uh, band instruments, you know, when I was in fifth grade. That's kind of the elementary school sort of thing. And uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember going to the <clears throat> the middle school, and the band director handed me a a tuba. Couldn't make a sound on that. And uh, she handed they handed me a trombone. Couldn't make a sound on that. A flute couldn't make a sound on that. Finally, they handed me a trumpet. I could sort of squeak out a little bit on that. And then they handed me a cornet and uh, that's what I was able to make the sound on the easiest. So I started playing uh, when I first started playing, I actually was playing uh, a cornet for about the first three months or so. And then my dad uh, in sixth grade bought me a trumpet um, in let's see, late November, early December of that, of, of my sixth grade year. So yeah, that was, that was cool. That's how I got, that's how I got started. Wow. I never knew that. Um, yep. (laughs) Or maybe the cornet and trumpet were just easier to carry. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, for, you know, for a little guy, I mean, you know, a cornet is, is, you know, it's wrapped up a little smaller. So even though it's in the same key, it's the same length of tubing, it's a little easier for, uh, you know, a younger person to fill up the instrument with air um, if they're not used to that. And actually, I remember when I did graduate to trumpet that um, I did have a little bit of um, an issue there, um, actually getting a sound that was sustainable. That took about a week or so of getting used to. And then once I did that, then it was fine. Very nice. Yeah. So my next question for you is, how does learning music as a blind student differ for you? Um, Do you think it makes a big difference uh, in everyday learning when it comes to music? Definitely. Um, You know, for starters, you know, blind musicians don't have the same level of access to, um, to music that sighted students would have access to. So, you know, a sighted student can go to a music store and just pick out anything they want, or they can go to a library and pick out, um, they can go to a library and uh, pick out any sort of score, any sort of, you know, uh, method book, anything like that, that they want. Uh, For us, we're limited to either learning music by ear, which is primarily what I do, or using Braille music. The the caveat with uh, Braille music is that um, it's very hard to learn. It's not very intuitive. It's hard to get. So if you're looking for new music, you have to oftentimes pay a transcriber, um, you know, could be hundred plus dollars. It could be 200 plus dollars to get access to the music. And then you have to wait, you know, for three or four weeks for a, a transcriber to turn that piece around for you. And, um, so unless you're, you know, uh, 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 you know, like a classical soloist and you um, don't have to worry about being on, on, you know, in the operating at the same pace with any sort of peers, then, you know, Braille music could be a viable solution. But if you're in a situation where you've got ensembles of various types that you're playing with, or if you are, you know, asked to play something uh, last minute or something like that, you really have to use your ears to make those, you know, to, to make those gigs happen for yourself. And being a trumpet player, even though my, you know, ambition is to be a soloist and, and I've done that a lot, uh, you still end up collaborating with other composers, other players, other sections. Um, so you really have to be able to be flexible and you've got to be able to learn things quickly. I remember um, a couple of times, even as a student at Berkeley, where um, students would ask me to play on film scoring projects or something like that very last minute. And they would send me mock-ups of pieces, you know, three days or four days ahead of time. And I would have to just, you know, stay up, you know, all night or, you know, do whatever I had to do to make sure I had those parts memorized. And that's the other thing about Braille music is that you can't read and play at the same time. So you have to memorize your music anyway. So imagine, you know, having to wait three or four weeks to get a a piece transcribed and then having to still, you know, read it and then go through that memorization process. It's, 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 it can be very tedious and, um, you know, cumbersome. That being said, I think Braille music is a good way for a blind student to understand music notation. And I think it's a good way of, you know, 
getting a basic grasp on that. And if you decide to use Braille and your ears together, then that's great. If you decide that you're solely a Braille music guy and and you know exactly what kind of situations you're going to put yourself in, then if that's what you want to do, then that's great as well. It's it's really what's going to work for you the best. For me, it works much better to to learn most everything by ear. Yeah, it's two different uh, perspectives on learning, definitely. Um, so in brief, how did you first discover jazz music? And also, when did you first start uh, looking into historical classical trumpet and cornet performance? Oh, man. So uh, when I was in middle school, you know, we had to do the beginning band first. And then once we got to seventh grade, then we were able to do uh, the jazz stuff and concert band together. And um, I was just sort of a natural improviser. My dad was a guitar player, was a country and bluegrass kind of guitar player. Um, and uh, so he <laughs> he had me playing, you know, as early as I can remember, you know, he had me trying to jam on on blues in the key of E, which is hilarious because that key doesn't work very well, uh, especially for a young guy trying to get get his, you know, hands around the trumpet and the fingerings and all of that stuff. And so when I told dad that we should play things in B flat, he would give me a hard time about it. He would be like, B flat, that's horrible. Like, why would you want to play in B flat? I'm like, because that's what's going to work better for my instrument but oh no dad wasn't willing to bend with that so we had to play an e um, so um when i was in seventh grade I, I i started taking the jazz band and i remember um you know they taught us the blues scale they taught us how to swing uh, and then we played this little tune called louie louie and we had a little spot to play solos and they were like who wants to take a solo? And I was like, pick me, pick me, pick me. I was like super excited. So they were like, okay, Wayne, you get to take a solo. So um, that was, that was my first, uh, you know, introduction to jazz was middle school, big band. And um, you know, that's, that's, that's really, and later that year I, you know, progressed further and I did, I did all city jazz and, and, um, and, you know, really kind of took to it like a, like a, you know, like a duck in water. And um as far as the uh, historical performance goes, um, you know, I, I guess I'll briefly say that while I was a student, especially in high school, um, I was, you know, playing both classical and jazz together because that's what, you know, kind of was expected. If you were going to do the jazz band in high school, you were also going to do the concert band. And if you did concert band, you were, of course, going to do solo and ensemble. So I did, I did all of that stuff and, and, and never really thought anything of it. I didn't realize that, uh, until college that, that people didn't play classical music, um, in a lot of respects. I mean, that's just always been a part of who I am. So when I got to Berkeley, uh, I, you know, I did my first semester stuff and then, uh, I did a recital that semester playing both styles. And then, um, second semester I was in the orchestra. And, um, a good friend of mine, Tom Brennan, um, you know, that we were, we were, we were buddies in, at school. Uh, he was telling me about his Baroque trumpet teacher that he had in Connecticut. Um, and I was kind of intrigued. I was like, wait, Baroque trumpet. What are you like, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, let me show you. And so we were up in his dorm one night and uh, we were just hanging out and he showed me these historically informed 
recordings of the Bach Brandenburg Concerto Number no. Two, and I had only really heard Wynton Marsalis's version of it. Um, you know, with a big string section. It was the London uh, English Chamber Orchestra. Sorry, yeah, English Chamber Orchestra, and you know, big string section. Wynton's playing this you know, playing this piece on his piccolo trumpet, because that's what, that's what, you know, modern guys do when they play Baroque. That's an octave higher than the standard one. Right, right. Yep, yep. It's an octave higher. And um, the piccolo trumpet is a very bright and cutting instrument, and it's meant to cut through the back row of an orchestra and cut through all the strings. That's what it's, you know, that's what it's meant to do. Um, but it's also the way that modern trumpet uh, players uh, have access to Baroque literature. So um, so I'd only been used to hearing Bach Brandenburg concertos played that way um, in a modern, through a modern lens with modern instruments, modern orchestras. And um, when I heard this recording of Tom's Baroque trumpet teacher, it I, I was just floored. I don't really know how else to describe it to you. I was just floored by what I heard. Um, the ensemble was much smaller, only about you know fifteen to twenty musicians at the most. Um, everybody was playing uh, these instruments that, while they sounded like the instruments that I knew, they sounded just a little bit different and a little bit softer and 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 warmer. Really, just just had they had a warmth to them that really invited you into the sound and made you want to ask for more and search for what was what was going on. The other thing about it was the trumpet specifically was noticeably softer and noticeably warmer. And um I I I was I, I just loved how big the sound was. It was such a different thing than what I had heard. I thought the sound was gentle. I thought it was friendly. I really enjoyed it. And um also the the pitch was lower. And I was like, what is going on with this pitch level? I thought this is supposed to be an F. And Tom was like, well, this is a Baroque pitch. This is a A415. And so that just really opened up my world to under, starting to understand about historical performance practice yeah. and, um, and, and what, you know, temperaments were. I mean, this, this has been a several year journey at this point, yeah. but. Also but, the uh, perils of having perfect pitch. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it took me it took me years, guys. It took me years to be able to think in baroque pitch. So every time I was hearing, you know, a trumpet concerto, you know, something like like Telemann or something like that in D, I was thinking D flat all the time because when I would listen to these historical recordings, uh baroque pitch or you know what what we agree on as being baroque pitch that's not it's kind of arbitrary but um it was um it was a half step lower and, and so that really that really uh it took a very long time for me to train my brain to be able to think in 415 and i i i can think in 415 pretty easily but i have to sometimes still think about it for a minute yeah. and not call the notes different things sure so anyway that's how I got started with historical performance and and the the cornet. You asked about the cornet. Um, that came uh, much later. First, that started with me, um, you know, taking lessons with Charlie Lewis at Berkeley and um, getting introduced to Herbert L. Clark's original recordings. 
And that was really, really amazing. And I remember... This is from like a century ago, right? Yeah, yeah. His recording career was short. It, it, His discography, you know, his, or uh, you can't even really, I guess, call it a discography, but his recording career lasted from roughly 1909 to 1922 before that he did record but he recorded with other bands like the john philip Sousa band and um other 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 bands like that for different labels but Very his cool. recording yeah so so i got introduced to his recordings and i remember in um i think it was like 2013 i got asked to uh perform for the boston landmarks orchestra gala and I needed a piece that was going to be like three minutes long. And I wasn't really sure what to do. And I was like, I, because I, most of the 20th century stuff I knew was pretty, was pretty long and Baroque repertoire is also not always short either. So I didn't really know what to do. So I consulted these recordings for a, a little while and uh, found this piece called the Southern Cross. And um, it should be noted for everybody listening that, these recordings, even though they are, you know, three to four minutes in length uh, at the most, because that's what the technology allowed for, the pieces were actually longer. These were condensed versions of the pieces, and and I wasn't aware of that for all of them back in those days when I first started getting interest, uh, you know, really really heavy into the historic cornet stuff. So. Uh, I, I I picked this piece and I got a friend, a uh, fellow student um, at Berkeley to play with me. And um, I realized how much better that made me as a musician. And I played it on trumpet. I didn't have a historic cornet at that time. But I, I, I realized how much better that made me as a musician. And so I started learning these Herbert L. Clark recordings just one after the other, after the other, after the other, after I performed that gala. And I made up my mind that eventually I would have a historic cornet and I would, I would want to, um, in addition to learning Baroque trumpet, I wanted to be able to play cornet really well and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and be familiar and an expert at the cornet literature. And so, um, And and I know you are that. So, uh, we, so uh, I have a whole bunch of things uh, yeah, I want sure. to also mention in the podcast. But first up, yeah, um, yeah. You, we should you should mention the uh, there's this tune that we collaborated on. Going back uh, back up a half step to the modern pitch for a bit, we have, <laughs> um, uh, we have this tune that we um, collaborated on the from the Piercy Gratzmiller Jazz Quintet's 2018 debut album Over the Edge, and I'm actually on piano on this one. So. Um, so this piece I really want to share, we really want to share with everybody is called Beantown Bop. So how about you tell me a little bit about what that's about? Well, it's a, it's a, it, it is a bop tune. And um, I, I guess it was, a, it was a, a thing that I got inspired to write while I was a student at Berkeley. And um, I just thought, I just thought it would be cool to, you know, um, I guess, dedicate something to Boston. And, and actually it was funny because the, the, it is spelled B A H P <laughs> on the bop is spelled B A H P. So Beantown bop, you know, like how they'd say it in Boston. But the funny thing was, is I didn't even, uh, I didn't even spell it that way on purpose. That was Aaron 
who did that. He he thought I was he thought I was intentionally trying to make a joke about about Boston by calling it Beantown Bop, and I was like, no, Aaron, that's not that wasn't what I was thinking. But um, that's absolutely hilarious, and we're keeping it. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, we should keep it. And so that's 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 how that spelling uh came into be. So if you guys look at the album on Apple Music or Spotify, whichever you guys prefer, then you'll see the you'll see the 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 lettering, the spelling there. Um, yep. but it was just it was just cool and it was a it was kind of an experiment for me to do some like basic jazz counterpoint. Um I I haven't obviously taken a I haven't taken a jazz counterpoint class or anything like that, but I wanted to try my hand at it and um so that was that was fun in the B section. There's and some it sounds very good. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. There's some counterpoint between the trumpet and the and the sax in the B section of that tune. Um, I, I should clarify: it's uh, Aaron Gratzmiller on the tenor sax on this one. Yes. Right? Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's play mm-hmm. it. Let's play it. Very exciting. That was uh, Beantown Bap from the uh, Piercy Gratzmiller Jazz Quintet with Wayne Piercy on trumpet, Aaron Gratzmiller on tenor sax, and actually myself on piano, Matt Savage. So we have Wayne Piercy here right now, and uh, I wanted to ask: uh, Do you have um, do you have a, an upcoming project in mind? Is it either more on the classical or the jazz side? Well, I do. Uh, I I do have a project that I'm toying around with. I'm actually going to go check out a recording studio tomorrow. I'm going to head over to uh, Roslindale and check out uh, a recording studio called Futura. Um, yeah, I want to uh, I want to put out a jazz album very soon because uh, I'm applying to a grad grad school. Uh, Florida State University has a really amazing jazz department and i'm thinking about doing a master's in jazz studies there uh probably if i go to school at florida state i'll also do uh, a classical degree as well just because i can play both styles and why the hell not right so <laughs> so I'll, I'll i'll do both um you know i gotta make winton proud um so winton yeah. marcellus one of our idols yeah that's right that's right if winton can play both then all of us can play both. Uh, so yeah, so um, I'll, I, I really want to put out a, a quintet album, but I don't want it to be, I, I don't know, I don't want it to be all quintet stuff. I want to maybe do one tune as a sextet, um, maybe one tune as like a quartet. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it all shapes up, but I am going to go check out a recording, uh, you know, future recording studio tomorrow. And I'm really excited to, um, 
get to, you know, bring my horn over there and feel out the room and all that fun stuff. It should be really cool. Oh, it should be. I know it's uh I know it's a very nice room uh if you end up going with that one and uh there are so many uh so many great new tunes of yours too. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I also wanted to ask, how do you currently work as an advocate for assistive technology for those with disabilities, especially uh, the blind? Well, I worked um, I worked at Berkeley uh, in a program that I helped to start that taught uh, music technology and Braille music. And I, I, I worked there until, uh, let's see, starting in 2011 until 2018. Um, and... Uh, that was that was fun. I got to I got to mentor a lot of students um, in not only you know using the technology to help get their stuff done in 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 classroom assignments and homework and things like that projects etc. But I also did a lot of work uh, with them on self advocacy skills and what to do if their teacher was unsure about how to deal with blindness or that sort of thing. So I'm pretty. I've got a lot of experience with that. Um, since leaving Berkeley, I haven't been quite as active in that space, but I did. Um, I need to get back to this, but I did start a um, a club on this social networking app called Clubhouse, and um, I had a um, a blind musicians club there, and I did get some people in there who were, you know, who would share their you know, experiences going to music school, um, things like that. What, what kinds of things they struggled with. Um, I had a, another student who I met as a result of my time at Berkeley. She is another classical trumpet player. And, um, I mentored her all through her undergrad at a, a classical, uh, school in Florida. Um, so not, not Florida state, another school, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I mentored her and, you know, helped her learn how to ask for accommodations, you know, that, that sort of thing, um, learn how to, you know, tell her trumpet teacher, what, what, what she needed, that sort of thing. So that was, that was, uh, a rewarding experience for, for both of us. Um, I've played, uh, you know, corporate events for, um, uh, this group called uh, Partners for Youth with Disabilities that helps um, students of all levels, you know, achieve independence and self-reliance and uh, obtain work, uh, you know, in the workforce, like doing whatever, whatever it is they, they, they've wanted to do. And uh, so that's, that kind of brings me up to the, to the present. Very nice. Yeah. You know, uh, we've still, uh, we've still had some work, you know, even in these last tough couple of years. Um yeah, it's been it has been tough. It has been very tough. But we have you have a lot of new tunes out and one of them uh, which we're going to play for you as well is called The Explorer. So so uh, I'm really curious, how did your tune the new The Explorer, sorry. The Explorer get its name. I wrote this tune uh it's dedicated to a assistive technology company for for blind and visually impaired people called Ira. And what Ira does is very cool. They connect you through an app on your smartphone. They connect you to professionally trained agents who can help you do any number of things. They can help uh, read mail for you. They can help, uh, 
you know, look up uh, cooking directions on a package. If you can't see it, um, they can help you, uh, you know, set your oven to the right temperature. If you need help with that, set your thermostat, but um, uh, help you with computer troubles, uh, format resumes for, you know, job seeking, all kinds of cool things like that. But they also can help you navigate. So if you are learning a new area or if you're wanting to explore a new a new place that you haven't been to before, you can call Ira and you can give them the address of the place that you're going to and they will help you navigate to your destination. So this piece is called the Explorer because that's what they call their users is explorers because their motto is, is, is you're exploring your independence with the help of these trained agents and through augmented reality, you can together with those professionally trained agents accomplish new things that you might not have otherwise done on your own, maybe. Um, So the tune takes you through a lot of interesting textures, different landscapes. So it starts out. um, Oh, let me back up and say that, that uh, it was, based on i wrote it based on the 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 ringtone of the ira app whenever you call an agent you hear a ringtone and uh it's 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 it the notes are the notes are d g a and b and so i used that motive uh throughout the piece and um so it starts out you know presenting the 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 theme in in kind of a fast swing feel and then it goes uh that that's that represents you getting connected with your agent, getting the address plugged in into your app, into their GPS, that sort of thing. And then there's a slower section that's in three, and that illustrates you walking along and getting into a groove with your agent. They're telling you about things that you might be passing on your left and your right, maybe new businesses that you've never explored before, or maybe um, telling you when to you know, go around a go around a tree or something that might be in your way or when there's a crowd of people coming up, you know, all kinds of things like that. After that slow section in three, there's another section in four that, that it's kind of a recap of the original theme. And that represents, uh Oh, we took a wrong turn. Google misguided us. And so we've got to regroup and, um, and, and go back the other way. And um, so there's that section. And then it finishes up with a second line section that was inspired by uh Wynton Marcellus's Big Fat Hen from The Magic Hour. Actually, this whole tune was inspired by the album The Magic Hour. Um if you guys ever have a chance to check that album out, especially the last track, The Magic Hour, the title track, and then Big Fat Hen, those two specifically, um those those were a deep inspiration for this tune. Um so the second the second line section represents you got to your destination. You are at your at at your uh, your destination. You feel a sense of empowerment and and fulfillment and gratification, knowing that you did something that you might not have done before, and you feel a sense of empowerment, and um, you just feel you just feel more complete in a in a way, and uh, so. I wanted to write a tune highlighting all of those, all of those uh, 
points. And um, everybody that works at Ira loves it. A lot of the agents have actually listened to it. I think the video has like over <laughs> the YouTube video has over uh, 350 views at this point. It's, it's, it's really um, it really took off and people really have enjoyed it. Um, I've gotten to perform this a couple times and uh, I, I can't wait to um, I can't wait to perform it again. And uh, for sure, I will um, probably be recording that tune on this upcoming album if I can get it if I can get it off the ground. Very nice. Yeah. So the excerpt we're going to play from the Explorer is um, we're going to start with uh, the return to the swing section and then go into the New Orleans uh, style second line section. So we. Uh, yeah. Hope you enjoy this. everybody that was a tune by my good friend uh trumpeter and cornetist and baroque trumpeter uh wayne piercy um and uh, this is one of his jazz originals called the explorer so um it's really cool so we hope you enjoyed that one and um so we're uh, just about to uh finish off for the day but um but I did want to ask Wayne one more question. What do you want to tell any blind students who are interested in learning the trumpet or or uh, instruments in general? Well, I guess what I would say is it's a it's it's a tough road. Um, if you've got if you've got innate ability um, and you and you really want to do it, do it. There's nothing, there's nothing that should hold you back, even if there are some pitfalls along the way. And even if you'll have to educate those around you about how you want to do things, it's worth it because we, we play music because we love music and um, it doesn't matter whether you're blind or sighted or, or anything Um, you play music, we play music because we love it and we live for the music. And, and that's, that's, that's the important thing. So if you're a blind student out there listening to this podcast and you're, and you want to learn an instrument, go for it. If you're, if you're a blind student who's already started learning an instrument and you, maybe you feel some discouragement or you're having some obstacles in your way, um, just, do your best and, and, and get through it. Reach out to those in the community. Um, there are some, some of us who have probably had the same experiences that you have. Um, I'm certainly willing to help anyone that I can uh, get through these types of situations and, and conversations. So feel free to uh, contact me and um, I can, I can help in any way possible. Definitely. Yeah. Wayne, uh, 
Wayne Piercy certainly has a lot of uh, great knowledge about uh, not just our great musical traditions, but um, but just why we do what we do, uh, despite uh, even though some of our gigs might be brutal and our uh, um, and our recording projects ambitious, you know, that's always it's always amazing to be a part of the end product. It really is. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So um, thank you again for uh, uh, for being our the podcast's second interviewee. And uh, don't forget to uh, check out the Piercy Gratz Miller Jazz Quintets album, Over the Edge, and uh, plus whatever new projects uh, the Piercy has in mind. Absolutely. And uh, is it okay, Matt, if I, if I you know give my website a plug here? Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Um, if you guys want to get in contact with me, you can contact me um, using the contact form on my website. Um, my website is waynepiercy.com. That's W-A-Y-N-E-P-E-A-R-C-Y.com. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't always check my socials as much as I should. So if you really want to get a hold of me on those platforms, it might be best to send me a direct message, but I'll definitely, I'll definitely respond. And, um, um, when I get my act together, I'll be back on clubhouse again too. <laughs> so <laughs> stay tuned for that. Awesome. Perfect. And, uh, thank you again and have, Able Voices is a production of the Berkeley Institute for Arts, Education, and Special Needs, led by me, Dr. Rhoda Bernard, the founding managing director. It is produced by Daniel Martinez Del Campo. The introduction music is by Kai Levin, and our closing song is by Sebastian Batista. Kai and Sebastian are students in the arts education programs at the Berkeley Institute for Arts, Education, and Special Needs. If you would like to learn more about our work, you can find us online at berkeley.edu slash B-I-A-E-S-N or email us at B-I-A-E-S-N at berkeley, that's L-E-E dot E-D-U.